Northern Rivers Food and Southern Cross University present Business Bites. This podcast series discusses, evaluates and explores all the factors that contribute towards making a successful business. I'm Angela Caterns, host of Business Bites, and in each episode I bring you wisdom and insights from forward-thinking academics and leading industry experts about what really helps a business stay relevant and thrive. In this episode, we're talking about recruitment and the challenges that can involve, particularly in a regional location. We'll explore the ins and outs of finding and keeping the right staff and get some tips and advice on the strategies local businesses can implement as they look for the right person to join their team. Felizmina Jom Fliss is our first guest. She's a search specialist and innovation enthusiast with a great deal of experience across digital strategy, change management, marketing and business assessment. She's run her own business, worked in government agencies and now leads a project called My Future Workforce Northern Rivers for Regional Development Australia. Hello and welcome Fliss. Hi, Ange. Thank you. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start b- by getting an understanding of the lay of the land. For quite a few years now, there's been a lot of attention paid to the fact that recruiting staff, finding and keeping good people is increasingly hard. Is that true? Is it becoming harder? Is it becoming harder? Look, I... I'm not sure that there it's uh, a measure of harder or... Um, uh, but certainly the challenges are changing. The challenges of recruitment are evolving. And and I think what we're seeing more is a change in the relationship between the employer and the employee, the and even the employer and the job seeker. Um, so I guess working with um, Regional Development Australia, um, and just to give you a bit of background, um, Regional Development Australia Northern Rivers is um, a not-for-profit organisation. We're funded through the Federal Government Initiative uh, for Regional Development and um, the charter is to foster economic growth um, in the region and we do that by working with all levels of government um, and with working with industry and business and community groups as well. And what we do with that work is that over the years, we've found that there's um, feedback coming from, particularly from employers, um, that there is a shortage of um, job seekers, that um, there is a gap, a skills gap that exists between positions uh, that are available and what people are um, able and, and willing to do. And of course, um, more recently, there's a lot of issues around retention of staff as well. Um, the the work that um, that we kind of have been work getting towards with um, the platform that I'm working on, which is my future workforce, Northern Rivers, uh, is has been about addressing an employment strategy for the North Coast. Um, and the feedback being from industry is that the uh, the approach to the employment system is primarily about trying to keep, you know when we're trying to keep unemployment low the outcome is that we focus on the job seeker and it's all about the job seeker. You know, what skills do they have? What experience have they had? And, you know, how can we um, pull that out and actually fill the jobs that are available? Instead, what we should be perhaps looking at is um, reverse engineering that to be focused around what is it that industry needs? What are the employment um, requirements and what are the pathways to... um, 
building that uh, workforce that's required for um, for the businesses that uh, are, you know what the, what their staffing requirements are. So, I guess when it comes to um, whether it's getting harder, I think what we're looking at is just a shift in the way we are approaching um, recruitment and employment and looking at it more from what are the needs of industry instead of what are the job seekers that are available for us to pull from. Mm. Is that what you mean when you said that there's been a change in the relationship between employers and, and staff? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, employers, I, you know, once we've moved away from that hierarchical, you know, the employer is someone who bestows a, a job um, to you. Um, now it's more about a collaboration between an employer and um, and their employee. What is it that em- an employee needs? It's not just about the job and earning a pay packet and then, um, you know, and then living your life outside of that. There's an understanding between um, an employer that that they have actually engaged a full human being, a full human being who has a life, a busy life with their kids, with their family, with caring for their um, parents, um, who are interested in starting their own business um, and who want to make time for um, things besides just going through the the motions of actually being employed and having that completely separate to um, their life. Um, And I think... You know, the the little distinction I wanted to make as well is that relationship between employer-employee extends to the employer and the job seeker because the relationship actually starts a lot earlier. It's not just about once you are um, on the payroll, um, that's when your relationship starts. It's about how you approach um, the job seeker as well. Are they going to be interested in the, in the work environment and the cultural um, environment that you're providing to, to them? Mm-hmm. And so, um, Fliss, is there a difference uh, between a regional area and a metropolitan area in regards to this? Oh, look, absolutely there is a difference. Um, Certainly, I think our current environment has some global issues that are affecting um, all of us, not even just between um, metropolitan and regional, but also um, internationally as well. Um, The last couple of years has obviously had a huge impact on the way both um, uh, employees view um, how they work. Um, It's also um, had, um, I guess, some economic impacts with the way um, people are approaching their finances, um, how are they um, funding their lifestyles. Um, it's all those things are, are also coming into that, you know, the, there's that phrase again, the, the perfect storm of, um, of things that are bringing together um, the challenges of being, um, in, being an employer and also um, having that relationship with an employee. Um, certainly, we're in a regional environment, we um, have that um, added um, difficulty of you know, access to services, um, transport, um, the distances between um, our, you know, where we live and where we need to work. Um, and also now, with the regional um, situation, we're finding that the increase in mobility of remote workers means that we are now pro, you know, welcoming a lot of um, employees who have, um, have 
metropolitan incomes who have you know city incomes coming and taking up um, and space and and um, accommodation where it makes it a little bit more difficult for um, a, a a city or a regional area where um, we're not used to that level of income being in competition with mm-hmm. um, the way we live. Mm-hmm. Fliss, um, ABS statistics released this year reported that almost a third of employing businesses are having difficulty finding suitable staff. Is this a challenge that affects only a particular type or a particular size of business? Look, there isn't anything in our experience to indicate that the challenge is any greater or for smaller businesses than large businesses. The issue is about having people on the ground and that's regardless of scale. Um, I think certainly with what we've experienced with the March floods, you know, with businesses still five months in finding their feet, that adds a layer of complexity um, to what it means to be um, in a regional area. Um, But in terms of scale, small, you know, small businesses often have the advantage of agility. Um, I've seen a lot of small businesses, particularly in that hospitality space that where the business owners have, you know, um, taken photos of themselves going, I'm jumping back on the tools. Here I am back in the, in the kitchen again. Um, and, or, you know, waiting staff when, um, when they when their own staff shortages have hit them. Um, but that doesn't, you know, that shortage isn't, is hitting both big and small mm. um, business. So, you know, it's not unusual here to see McDonald's closing early because they don't have the staff. And the same way as, um, you know, a, um, a small business also, you know, has that situation, but sometimes they call in their, you know, their, their, their um, family members to um, take up the slack or they um, hop in themselves. They can actually be a little bit more agile with the community around them rather than um, relying on the fact that they can only call on the people that are on the payroll. Mm-hmm. So would you say it's actually medium to, to bigger sized businesses that are having the problems? I think it's fairly well spread across. Um, And in terms of um, industries or types of businesses, I've spoken to people who can't get engineers and town planners, um, people who can't get, um, you know, professional services just as much as people who can't get wait staff and get short order cooks. Mm -hmm. It's the same uh, across the the struggle is pretty much um, the same across all, all types of businesses. And you mentioned earlier, Fliss, uh, about a lack of housing, and and we all know that to be true in this area. Um, It's a real impact, isn't it, on the number of of, of candidates who are available. What else is contributing to the issue? Is it pay? Is it conditions? Is it something else? Housing is a a common um, uh, reason that I'm hearing about people who can't um, continue in their place of employment, um, certainly the, with the floods again, you know, people have been displaced, um, from their homes and, and then businesses have also, you know, um, gone into, um, periods of difficulty because they can't get back up and running, um, as soon as, uh, as, as, you know, they've been able to since, since the floods. Um, you know, and there's other aspects to that too. And these are, um, typical regional issues around infrastructure, you know, there's no transport for in, um, public transport for people to rely on if they're finishing work late um, and trying to get home after a late shift. 
I think the other side of it is, and, and sort of mentioned this at the start, is, is the changing face of work. Um, you know, it's the, it's the fact that people are looking at work in a different way. Um, Do you put that down to the COVID experience and people staying home to work? Yeah, absolutely. And also um, just that time to consider what it is they want from work. Um, so it's not only um, a matter of saying, well, now I'm used to working from home and I'm being paid um, to stay at home. It's also the fact that the people want more out of um, their work environment. Um, you know, it's it's not only um, about what, what it is that they're getting from their job, but there are other, those other dissatisfies that are affecting their employment decision. For example, um, you know, do they want time to spend on a side hustle, a side business? Um, is it the variety in their work that they want to see? Um, is it is it an opportunity to give back to the community? And and it's often about being connected to a business or a brand that you're proud of. So, you know, I guess from a um, an employer's point of view, the question is how can we approach our employees to give them more than what they're getting out of their job besides just the pay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, I keep reading about something called the great resignation. Is that a thing? What does it mean? I, you know, I, I don't know about whether the, the um, there's probably data that supports um, what's happening there. I often call it the, the great transition, um, you know, rather than a great resignation. Um, a lot of people who are thinking about, you know, what careers they are actually taking up and what do they want to be doing with their life. Um, the, I think, you know, given the amount of platforms and tools that, we, you know, empower us to create our own businesses and to become our own businesses, um, I think there is a, definitely a, um, a movement, a shift in the way people are looking at um, how work is integrated into their life. So if they're not considering resigning, they're um, considering um, moving into something a little bit different, which means that the, the job seeker market really becomes that level of, um, you know, uh, of people who are ready, willing to work, continuously perhaps job hopping, trying something different. I am getting um, a, a bit of feedback from employers that people are starting jobs but then not sticking around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it comes back to that retention, like why, why are they there? Um, what is it that's going to keep them there? Which again, you know, as an employer is something that you want to look at slightly differently. And how can we, you know, continue to develop uh, and train our, um, our staff so that they stay um, engaged and, and um, find pathways um, within what the work that they're doing. Mm. And so, Fliss, tell us a bit about um, My Future Workforce Northern Rivers. It's an online platform. Yeah, so the My Future Workforce platform uh, started its life in uh, with the Regional Development Australia Mid-North Coast um, and Regional Development Australia Mid-North Coast and Northern Rivers worked together on um, pulling together the platform. Um, it's run separately, so uh, our um, platform is northernrivers.myfutureworkforce.com.au and it was launched in mid-2021 um, and in the Northern Rivers, what we initially focused on was the youth job seeker market. 
Um, one of the initial campaigns was around the summer of jobs, particularly as um, in our region as we come into summer, there is um, an influx of job vacancies um, and the platform was used as a vehicle to connect school leavers with, seasonal, with that seasonal increase. Um, and the, um, the platform is, um, is unique in that it is about focusing on a localised job, job market. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about employers that are looking in this region for, employ, uh, for uh, job seekers mm-hmm. um, in the region as well. Um, the other unique side of this is that it uses a job matching process. So the job matching process is about saying... Um, if you are, when you're putting your um, job seeker profile together, um, it allows you to identify what your skills are, what your experience is, and the job um, will actually be identified as, on your personal dashboard to say whether you are a match for um, those particular jobs. It's a good idea. Yeah. So the idea is that is also to give employers that opportunity to um, reach applicants that are more um, already um, suited to their to the skills required for that job. Um, the other side of it is the, um, the training aspect. Now, if you are looking at a particular job, because you can see all the jobs that are available, but you might see a job that you're only 30% um, matched to. And if you see that, it'll also, it'll also identify training opportunities that you can take up in order to become more closely matched to that particular job. Mm-hmm. So it's a real... Um, it's a real uh, powerful use of data to match the job, the job seeker and the training opportunities that are available in our region. Mm-hmm, fantastic. And so can you give us an example of, of, of what kind of businesses um, have already become involved? The, um, so currently on the platform, we've got around 110 employers um, on there. Um, 430 job seekers have registered mm-hmm. and um, there's probably a rolling number of around 70 to 90 active jobs listed on the site. Um, And the aim is to continue to grow that, particularly as um, there's different seasonal um, um, events that will um, impact the market. Um, We've got a range of industry um, listing listing jobs on the site. So we've got aged care, support and residential um, care, hospitality, a lot of hospitality. Mm. Um, there's manufacturing, local manufacturing opportunities on there and um, some of it is also warehousing. So um, there's things like driving, logistics, that sort of um, work. Um, a lot of administrative jobs are being listed and uh, processing plants as well to, um, to capture those who are looking at um, working in, um, you know, th- that uh, food, food processing um, uh, area. So uh, also, you know, so there's some agribusiness on there looking for farmhands, um, labouring, um, that sort of work as well. Um, our initial focus had been to work closely with Training New South Wales and connect with the job, uh, sorry, the school leaver market. And um, in uh, in 2021, the init- one of the initial campaigns was the Summer of Jobs, um, which we will be running again uh, this year. Um, and the aim there is to connect and to, I guess, use a, a critical mass of um, people who are leaving school and looking for um, particular jobs that 
will get them through summer and also to connect with those who may still be at school but are a bit disengaged from the, um, the school um, program and uh, are looking to um, find employment as well. Mm-hmm. And when you said it might su- suggest uh, ways of gaining skills, uh, at, at, at you know, university, at TAFE, is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, look, uh, at the moment um, we don't have any university and, it, and it's any um, sort of train, service provider. Um, at the moment we've um, got a lot of um, uh, um, RTOs listing uh, training opportunities on there. Um, we'll be, yeah, working a little bit closer with some of the um, universities as well to get some courses on there, particularly ones that they want to be filling over um, a um, particular period. Um, but, yeah, it is primarily around um, the RTOs, community colleges um, and uh, training providers. Mm-hmm. And so, Fliss, if I'm a business and, you know, I've got a, a couple of jobs I need filled, how do I go about it and how much does it cost? It is absolutely free. There is um, no cost to this at all. Uh, what this is about is that Regional Development Australia is about fostering economic growth in the region and that's what we want to um, see. The platform has come out of, um, you know, of having identified a need in the uh, North Coast um, employment um, services to say that, you know, this is what people are uh, missing. Um, there isn't a focus on, uh, you know, industry in terms of what jobs um, they require and, and how they can match that up with the skills gaps that's, that exists. Um, so if you're, if you're an employer and you're looking to um, register, you just go to northernrivers.myfutureworkforce.com.au and um, join the community as an employer. It, um, it allows you to start posting as soon as you've registered um, and uh, it's, as I said, it's completely free. You can actually put jobs on there that are kind of the evergreen jobs that you are continuously um, looking for applicants for, or you can actually just put in um, an expiry date um, for the particular jobs that you're hiring for at the moment. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a job seeker? Job seekers, absolutely the same. So go to northernrivers.myfutureworkforce.com.au and join the uh, community as a job seeker. Um, enter in your employability skills, your um, experience, and 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 that's um, it's also um, an aspect to the platform that is slightly different in that we are looking at how. Um, in, how jobs are actually matched to people with particular skills that are not qualification related. So it might be to do with your negotiation skills, how you um, relate to others in a conflict. Um, you know, putting those skills forward as a big part of who it is, who you are as a job seeker, um, and not just in terms of uh, your qualifications. But certainly, it will give you the opportunity to identify um, where you'd like to get some training as well. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Felice, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Ange. Our next guest is Azrin Pugh, Chief Executive Officer of the Byron Bay Good Food Company, otherwise known as Byron Bay Muesli. Born and bred in Byron, he's a businessman, a local councillor, and he took over ownership of Byron Bay Muesli just a short while ago. Hello and welcome, Azrin. Hi, Angela. So you are now the proud owner of a much-loved local Muesli brand that's been around for many years. How did you come to join the legion of local food manufacturers? Look, I was uh, I was looking for new opportunities for for a while. Um, I started by 
starting my uh, MBA with uh, UNSW and that was sort of a way to to learn new skills and demonstrate the, the skills and um, qualifications that I already had and I just kept, kept my eye open for a, for a good uh, local company that fit my values and um, and then this one came up and um, you know I sort of said well there's probably 15 uh, steps between starting and finishing this process and they all just happen one by one and we got to the end and uh, yeah now I'm running a muesli business. And so was it daunting to take on a business that was already so well known and well established uh, and also I guess the timing was a little bit <laughs> daunting as well was it given COVID and the floods? Yeah well, look it was to some extent I mean one of the things about this business is that it is so well established. It was very well run um, when I took it over. Gary, who I bought it off, was a was a great business person who had lots of great relationships uh, with suppliers and with customers. And um, when you're taking over a business that is well run, and he provided a lot of support in the transition, and so it may actually made it really easy. One of the things about um, you know selling things like muesli is that they they do um, work when when things are um, uh, are tough. You know, people still like to have good food and healthy food at home. It's also a growth industry. Um, more people are looking for better food and, and ways to make themselves healthy. And um, and so I, it wasn't that daunting, um, um, but it's always daunting taking on a new challenge like that. Mm-hmm. And so what are your plans? Do you, do you uh, hope to, you know, grow the business in, in other directions? Uh, look, our our key goal really is to keep making really good products. We do want to expand the product line a little bit. You know, you've got to keep up with the trends and, and where people are at. People are looking for even more um, uh, healthy food and keto and, and those kinds of uh, trends are happening at the moment. So we want to keep in touch with that, making sure our products are, are, are um, aligned with what people are looking for. Um, but we don't want to lose the quality. We don't want to just rush out there and start throwing things into the marketplace. We want to make sure we, you know, this muesli is award-winning and we want to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. And so how are you um, dealing with the challenges of, of being a regional employer? There are some some real challenges I imagine you're facing. Yeah, the, the key challenge, I mean, you've probably already talked about it. Everybody who's, um, who's trying to employ people at the moment knows that housing is a, is a massive issue. Um, particularly in manufacturing or I, I imagine retail and places like that where people need to be on site. Um, they can't do remote work. I mean, I know many employers have looked to Brisbane or even Sydney and, and have people working remotely so they can keep working, keep their business running here. But when you need them on site, when you need the muesli packed and the muesli baked, um, you do need to find local people. The key for me has been about trying to keep uh, the employees that we've got um, and I think that's a really key thing to think about. You know, if you if you don't lose people, then you don't have to hire new people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, tell us a bit about what, what you know about the local business community and what uh, local manufacturers can contribute to the region. Well, I think food manufacturing is one of the, the key pillars for, for the Northern Rivers. Um, Northern Rivers Foods been uh, established. They just had their 10-year anniversary. So they've been in the region for a long time and they're doing great things in promoting the whole of the Northern Rivers as that sort of clean, green, healthy food uh, option and, and trying to get the brand sort of moving it a bit away and expanding it out from Byron Bay to be about the whole region. And I think that that's essential. And, and as I was saying, that's where the uh, consumers are going. They're looking for that in their food. Um, they're looking for quality. They're looking for healthy food. And they're looking for, um, you know, things without additives, without nasties in it. And, and that's what we can offer as a region. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I know you're only a short while into the business, but what's your sense of the employment market in the region, Azrin, from your perspective as a new business owner? Yeah, look, we're currently going through some recruitment at the moment. Um, I think that the key challenge, look, we're only a small business. We only have uh, a small number of employees. And one of the challenges that we have there is that the roles that we have are actually quite broad uh, in what we ask people to do. So finding that broad set of skills when people have many other options of jobs to, to go to is a is a, quite a difficult thing. Um, one of the other things that we're trying to do is make sure we listen when people come in and apply for a job, actually ask them questions about what their expectations are from the job, what do they need from the job. I think sometimes you can get stuck. Pay is obviously very important, particularly when people with cost of living going up, uh, inflation and housing. But also, you know, we've got this sort of um, people through COVID, I think, realised that they want something more out of their working life. And I think trying to um, tailor the the role and the conditions to the person, I think is really, really important. So, you know, if they're a single parent, then maybe they need a bit more flexibility or a bit more leave and they need that more than they need uh, extra pay or maybe they need it four days a week and you've just got to be a bit flexible about that and try and sort of make the puzzle pieces fit into your operations. Mm, interesting. And so, Azrin, are there any uh, challenges specific to the food manufacturing business, do you think? Well, I think the the key one is the seasonality of, of many businesses. Um, I think it's, you know, people were sort of used to being able to get that backpacker workforce uh, in when they needed them and then um, not when they don't need them. And having uh, less of that sort of workforce around, I think, is a real challenge. Um, getting people in, um, I, I think that that sort of itinerant workforce is, is not there as much and I think that that's been a real challenge for people um, in, in getting people in. Mm-hmm. And so um, you discussed a little bit about, the, you know, a slightly new approach to hiring people by by sort of flipping it and finding out what it is that they want from you rather than what you want from them. Um, are there any other kind of slightly left of field or non-traditional approaches that, that you would contemplate? Look, um, there's probably many. I don't have a, a the you know, um, silver bullet to, to fixing this. But I think listening is the key. I think it's about asking the questions and, and listening. You know, there's the, the new sort of conversation piece out there in, in employment is the, the quiet resignation, you know, where people are just determined to just do their job and not go above and beyond for, for no extra reward um, like they might have used to or, or chasing that promotion. And I think that we need to be on top of that um, that culture and that movement and understanding, again, what employees are looking for out of their work because, you know, riding people into the ground um, is not something that people are willing to accept anymore. Mm-hmm. And went with employment at, I think it's at 3.4%, unemployment at 3.4% or something, then they have other places to go. They can quit and move whenever they like. Um, so you've got to make your place your business, the place that they want to stay. Mm. We discussed a a little bit about the big resignation. That's different to the quiet resignation that you're talking about, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, the big resignation, I think, came out of the US, really. I'm not sure that it was... I mean, we saw it a bit here with people moving, um, particularly up to the North Coast and and looking for work as part of that. And um, I think that that is something that we can use to entice employees. You know, people do want to live in our area. They want to move up here. Um, but it's about acknowledging that people want to move here for the lifestyle and so how can we make sure that their working lives also fit in with, with 
what they're trying to get out of um, moving up here. But the quiet resignation is is different. That's about um, just doing what the job entails and, and not trying to chase promotions, not trying to ch- chase um, uh, pay rises, um, not working when the day finishes at four or five, um, but saying, no, I'm now going to go and live my life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so as a small business, how do you balance that drive for flexibility uh, and more when you have hard deadlines or needs? How do you find the balance? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, muesli, I'm, I'm learning, is a seasonal business. People like to eat more muesli in summer than they do in winter. Right? Yeah. Turns well, they're out. eating porridge in winter. Possibly, possibly. That's a, uh, another idea for a, a new product line. Um, so you, you do have that, those ups and downs and I think it's a matter of being able to work with your workforce to, to manage those and um, you know, give flexibility but also ask for a bit of flexibility as well while also obviously respecting um, their rights as workers. So it's, it, it is difficult and, and this is the challenge of being a manager I think is, is getting all of the puzzle pieces to fit all together to make sure your production is happening, you get your orders out on time um, but at the same time, making sure that your employees are, are happy and, and want to continue working there. Mm-hmm. And so you're coming at the at the challenges of running a, a food manufacturing business um, and tackling the issues around employment that are inevitably arising with a sort of a fresh perspective. Do you have any insights or any advice that uh, that you could share with other business operators that might help them approach recruitment uh, with with a different lens? I'm actually out there asking questions at the moment. You know, I've only um, had the business for about five months and um, had to do a little bit of uh, recruitment. I think I've probably already expressed my my main approach, which is which is that listening and, and understanding mm. where you're um, the the people that you want to come work for you, what they need out of the job, and and then trying to keep them, um, making sure you've got uh, flexibility both ways, so that when you do need them to sort of put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, that they're willing to do it because they have they feel some ownership over the, the end product, that they're proud of what they're doing, um, that they want to share in your success as well. Um, and at the same time, you know, if, if the seasonality's down and there's no work to do, then maybe they get an early mark and, and that's something that they um, can value. There's also lots of, um, I think, a lots to learn about what people um, what people need out of their their job as far as recognition and i think the idea um that you know you give a christmas bonus or or whatever is important in its in the recognition but it's also what you say it's when you when someone's done a good job and you make sure you acknowledge that because we're all very quick to go and tell people when they haven't done what was expected but we've got to make sure that we're telling people um uh, when they've gone when they have gone above and beyond or they've done a particularly good job or there's just been a really hard period of work and they get recognised for that because as a business owner, you know, we get the, we get the profit from, from the work of these people and we need to make sure um, that they get acknowledged and they feel some ownership as well. Mm. Azra and our previous guest talked about how the employer-employee relationship starts right from when you recruit them. How are you doing that for Byron Bay Muesli? Is that something you've thought about? Uh, yeah, so it's about, um, for us anyway, it's about making sure we're honest about the, the role, um, that when we're advertising, we're really clear about what's, re- what's required, um, that we're responsive. So when people apply, you know, you, you get back to them. Um, one of the things I'm learning, you know, in previous recruitment processes, you know, you've sort of left the ad up there for three weeks and then you go through interviews or so forth. 
in my experience just recently, some of those people are just gone straight away because if you get if you don't get back to them quickly, they've just gone and found another job. They haven't been job. acknowledged, yeah. Uh, yeah, they've just found another job and they've moved on. So you've got to engage quickly with them, um, either getting them in for an interview earlier than you might have thought or at least co- contacting them and say, look, this is our process. Can you keep your options open? Um, we, we want you to come in for an interview here and then we'll do this um, to finish up. And and when you do get people on the phone, um, yeah, getting them interested is really important so that they will hold off on saying yes to the other jobs until you can finish your process or, um, you know, you want them sort of intrigued by, by your job. So you've got to share some information when you call them up. It's not a, it's not a call up and grill. It's a call up and have a conversation. Um, and I think that that's been successful in our recent um, uh, recruitment process, but we have lost some people, which we thought would be really good. And you call them up and they're like, oh, well, I've already got another job, so I'm, I'm off. Um, so yeah, get back to people quickly. Let them know what the process is. Engage them. Get them intrigued by the job. Make them want to come and work for you because then they might uh, put off other processes and, mm-hmm. and yeah, still Fan- be available. Fantastic. Azran, thank you so much. I look forward to having some uh, Byron Bay porridge for breakfast next, uh, next winter. <laughs> thank Excellent. you. Thanks. Now we're joined by Dr. Julia Caldercott. Julia is the Work Integrated Learning Coordinator with the School of Business and Tourism at Southern Cross University. She's a lecturer and a researcher whose expertise spans tourism education, management, personal development and much more. Hello and welcome, Julia. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to be here with you. And so it seems a cliche, but every generation probably thinks that those that follow them don't work as hard or somehow have life too easy. Is that cliche justified? (laughs) Don't ask me to pick sides. I think all (laughs) generations have their challenges. But I think it's clear that young people, Gen Gen Zs and millennials, see career differently to maybe the Gen Xs or the baby boomers. In what way? So now we're seeing a lot more of the young people aspiring to have a boundaryless career, so spanning a boundary, whether that's across organisations or across hierarchical levels or even industry sectors. So they don't have those same expectations to have the one job for many, many years or even to stay in that same industry. So they that sort of decides how they uh, choose different positions and how they want to fulfil their career path. Mm -hmm. Do you think they want more from their jobs? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so I think they're they're managing their own careers, so they're seeking roles that will assist them with their development. So rather than maybe the traditional hierarchical linear career that people would have, now they're seeking out positions that will allow them to... step into various roles in their future. Mm -hmm. You have had a similar experience in a way, haven't you, having shifted from one career uh, to another, from nursing into academia, I understand? Yeah, that's correct. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm not a, a Gen Z or a millennial, that's for sure. So I guess it was a little bit different for me. Um, a lot, many of my peers are still nurses, but I did my graduate year and then travelled. And I think that's an opportunity for you to have a bit of time and see the world and reflect on what you want. So I wanted to learn more. So, I, yeah, I did a business degree and, and majored in tourism, so sought out different positions. And I, I did do that. I guess it was fairly rare 
back then to have that boundaryless career, but I did choose positions that I wanted to gain various skills or competencies in, and and then I would move on to the next one that would do something different for me. Mm -hmm. And do you think that helps you understand the motivation and influences of the uh, students you work with now? Yes, I think so. I think it's it's a bit overwhelming for teenagers to be thinking about what their career is going to be. So I guess I can highlight to them that they don't have to choose one career for the rest of their lives, that they have that flexibility. And that can be exciting for some people. It's challenging, but for most people, and I think that's common now for people to have various positions in their careers. So it could be quite liberating or exciting and less daunting as a teenager or as as a young person to think about what their career is going to look like. For an employer in a regional area trying to attract and retain young staff, what are some of the things that they should consider? Well, there's a great survey. It's an annual survey by Deloitte that's come out about global Gen Z and millennials and and their thoughts around work and the world around them. So there's 23,000 respondents. So it's a big survey. And I guess four main themes came from that. So young people are really struggling with the cost of living and have high financial anxiety. They're also looking at how we work, so thinking about ways that they work. So four in 10 Gen Zs and nearly quarter of millennials would like to leave their jobs within two years. So that's definitely going to influence their career paths in the future. Another theme was that they're really advocating for climate change, so looking for organisations to to do more in that space. So two-thirds of those young people have been personally impacted by some climate, you know, extreme climate events and they don't believe that big business or government are doing enough in so, that so area. Just so a, a prospective employer um, will have an impact, you know, on, on the sort of action they're taking on climate change will have an impact on, on whether a young person wants to work there or not. That's right. It could be an attractive proposition if they are active in that climate mm-hmm. change or global warming space there or, or yeah, advocating for that climate change. And then the fourth theme was really around workplace mental health. So um, there's almost half are really stressed out all or most of the time. And that generally relates to long-term finances and some workplace factors as well. So in terms of what organisations or businesses can do in terms of attracting these young people, given the the themes that came out in that large review was compensation is really important. So competitive salaries are important, paid leave, promotions, because if you're not going to promote them, then they're going to get a promotion elsewhere. They're going to benefit their own career elsewhere by leaving to your competitor. And even some financial education and resources, just providing them with some insights into how to personally manage their resources. Mm -hmm. And some work-life balance is really important as well. So having that paid leave to address burnout because, as as the research is showing, many of the young people are feeling that financial um, stress and and that's adding to their burnout. Um, In terms of work-life balance, I think it's really important for organisations to communicate clearly as well in terms of what their expectations are in the workplace. Is there going to be... 
the requirement to stay back on weekends to help out and turn that around like that could be advantageous to someone who we know that young people are moving away from the standard Monday to Friday nine to five make that an advantage how is that going to work for them as well and having those precise job descriptions that ideally are worked out or negotiated together with the organisation. And so Julia um, just shifting focus here what is workplace integrated learning? Yeah so work integrated learning is the area that I specialise in. It describes educational activities that really integrate academic learning with workplace learning. So it's different from work experience or volunteering because there's academic credit associated with it, there's assessments and there's study resources that students engage with as well. So it's about learning about work but it's also learning through work. So it really helps the learners find their place in the world and how they want to shape their future. I guess. So internships, placements, clinicals are the most common form of work integrated learning, but you can also find uh, work integrated learning is offered through consultancies, projects, so industry projects where a business would pitch an idea maybe to the students and they would come up with various solutions to that. And simulations are actually known as a form of work integrated learning as well. Mm -hmm. So I understand you run the program for the university. Um, Is it well received by the students? Yes. So most universities now are incorporating work integrated learning programs into various degrees and and most degrees. It's really a way of equipping students with the employability skills that uh, business and industry sectors want. So it's a win-win really for the students because they're a lot more employable if they've completed a work integrated learning activity and it's a win for the industry as well. Are they paid to go into workforces? And, uh, well, sorry, are they paid to go into workplaces and uh, and join the team temporarily? It, it depends on work integrated learning program. So, I, the program that I oversee is in the business management and tourism education and IT. Students also do the program that I oversee, but there are different programs through. Uh, education obviously students do it nursing students engineering students so they would each have their individual uh, differences whether they're paid or not in the program that I oversee then it, it used to be roughly half and half so there's some really good work integrated learning placements in not-for-profit organizations so the students gain really valuable skills and experience there but the organisations don't have the funding to to pay them but I think that will be changing now because it's very competitive so as we know with a tight labour market some businesses uh, are coming to the universities hoping that that can help in terms of filling some spaces and students have a little bit more negotiating power now I guess to um, to to find paid places Mm-hmm. But we really do try to get the students to think about the long-term advantage of the placement rather than just taking it because it's paid. What is it going to help them with in their long-term career? Mm. And so who are some of the uh, industries and businesses that you partnered with? Yeah, 
Yeah, we have a range of different partners. So I've been uh, overseeing this program for about 16 years. So we've got thousands, I guess, of businesses that have part have taken on our students as internship hosts. They can be from very small organisations right up to large ones. They could be councils. Uh, they can be state government organisations, you know, very large hotels, uh, anywhere. Uh, we've got anywhere in the world, basically, as long as it's safe for the student to undertake their placement there. Then, then we'll approve that if it's in line with with their degree and and their career interests. And does do, do industry partners see this as a way to address recruitment issues within their companies? Yes, I think so. I th- there's a range of reasons why people, industry, will businesses will take on an internship student. Some of those are altruistic that they want to give back and they do want to develop the future leaders in the industry sector. But sometimes it is definitely about helping them in terms of filling recruitment gaps that they might have or tackling a project that maybe they haven't had the time or the resources to undertake in the past there. So it's 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 great for businesses to come to us and, and and pitch an idea if they've got a project that they would like to be undertaken. Our students in the program that I oversee complete approximately 32 hours a week for seven weeks. So they're really treated as part of the team. That's a pretty long involvement and pretty intense involvement in the organisation. So it maximises their learning, but it definitely helps get some projects completed for businesses who need it mm-hmm. as well. And I understand you've conducted your own research um, amongst the students on this program. What have you found? Yeah, so some colleagues and I looked at how students and their internship supervisors rated their performance. So across 15 different competencies, maybe the capacity to learn new skills, their punctuality and attendance, their computer skills, knowledge of the industry sector, communication, interpersonal skills. So the general trend that we found was that workplace supervisors tend to rate the student's skill level significantly higher than the student's rating. Hmm. So the research, together with debriefings that we have with the students during and after their placement, tends to indicate that maybe there is insufficient feedback being provided to the students during and and at the end of their placement as well. So I guess... uh, we're trying to encourage the supervisors of our students to provide feedback. And and there's a range of different feedback. There's just the appreciation type of feedback, but there's also coaching that's required and evaluation against that set criteria as well. So if students and new employees have the feedback and they feel that they're doing a good job or know where to improve on, then you would hope that they're going to stay and feel happier in their employment as well. Mm. I would have thought that that's, you know, a a comment that's pretty common to most businesses, really. Yeah, and the lack of feedback is from a range of reasons. It might be just that they're busy, they don't feel that, you know, it's a student and I can't be too harsh on them. But, yeah, we did see that the students are actually more harsh on themselves than than the supervisors were, but they just, they didn't know how well they were travelling. And so, Julia, in, uh, in this episode of Business Bites, we've looked at recruitment and challenges around that faced by regional businesses. Mm-hmm. From uh, the vantage point of your work, what advice or suggestions would you give our listeners? Oh, I guess they could just reassess their recruitment strategy. So 
how and where are they advertising? Are they going through LinkedIn? So a lot of our students, uh, I teach them in one of the units that I teach in that preparation before going on to their internship placement, we ask them to create a LinkedIn profile and they are searching for internships and jobs that way as well. And to really um, work with individuals when they do apply for a position to find a mutually beneficial opportunity for them beyond just payment. So young people, as the research is indicating, are really wanting to find a job that has meaning. So whether that's about addressing climate issues or diversity or a range of different things, they're looking beyond the payment as well. So if, you know, of course, an industry member has a need that they want filled, but if they can negotiate and engage with the young people they could probably uh, get more motivation from them but and that would potentially come up with some new solutions for their business as well. Mm -hmm. And so how can workplace integrated learning um, help to address regional recruitment issues do you think? Yes, certainly different faculties at Southern Cross offer work integrated learning programs. So they could uh, undertake a placement with the businesses if, if they have a suitable placement. And it's not just about photocopying and getting cups of coffees, but it has to be a genuine learning opportunity as well. Uh, if businesses are interested in and they believe that they've got a a project or a position that they could offer a student, then they they can certainly reach out to Southern Cross and just to the general inquiries number and they can put that inquiry through to the relevant school or faculty and then we could help them work up a position to make sure that it's relevant for our students depending on the discipline. Mm -hmm. Really? So you would suggest businesses can just call the university and uh, and say, <laughs> I've got a I've got a job vacancy. Um, can you suggest a faculty or or a student who might be interested? Yeah, or even email, emailing the inquiries line. Uh, we've also got uh, the careers service offer the opportunity for businesses to advertise any casual permanent. Uh, full-time positions uh, that's separate to work integrated learning but that facility is available as well through Southern Cross and but they if they're after a work integrated learning opportunity then they could um, be put in touch with the the best faculty that would have the the best students to mm -hmm. fit that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And Julia so uh, workplace integrated learning programs can facilitate students personal growth as well uh, tell me what else it does for the for the students who partake yeah so work integrated learning as i said before is generally incorporated into most university degrees in some way shape or form whether that's a placement whether it's a project there um, and that's often about improving their employability skills and from a professional development role but my research has looked into the, the personal development that, that can occur. Um, a concept called self-authorship um, was what I've looked into. And I think work integrated learning, um, certainly in terms of placements, provide a, a real breeding ground for students to analyze their own values, I guess. So self-authorship being becoming the author of your own life um, can be facilitated by a work integrated learning program. 
Fantastic. Julia, thank you so much for joining us on Business Bites today. It's been great. Thanks, Angela. Nice to be here. This episode of Business Bites has focused on the issues faced by regional businesses around recruitment. We've heard from a service provider, a business owner and an academic expert, each of whom shared valuable insights into how local business operators can approach this very real challenge. We unearthed some great practical advice as well as tangible evidence-based knowledge. This podcast series is a collaboration between Southern Cross University and Northern Rivers Food, and it's proudly funded by the New South Wales Government. I hope you'll join us for the next Business Bite. I'm Angela Caterns. Thanks for listening.